Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, we're so glad you're here today as we kick off this new series, and I am excited for us to talk about what God wants us to know about our thoughts this morning. Um, I know from asking it up here before, uh, my family and I are not the only ones who watch way too much HGTV, Home and Garden Television. Uh, just, would you be willing to kind of raise your hand if you've seen enough of that episode to, like, for a lifetime, that, 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 that network for a lifetime? Um, what I'm talking about, and I'm always blown away by the sheer amount of different shows on that network that are just people looking to buy dwellings. Uh, you've probably heard of House Hunters, uh, House Hunters International. Uh, where I think that network gets really good is when it gets niche. Uh, people looking for homes in unusual kinds of places, uh, or actually very specific, weird kinds of dwellings that have entire, entire series based on them. So series like Beachfront Bargain Hunt, if you've seen that one. Uh, if you are looking for a house or a condo on the beach, that's the show. Even at a bargain, it's still out of my price range, but I like watching other people buying them and then dreaming. Uh, or Bahamas Life is a show, just people looking for homes in the Bahamas. I have never been to the Bahamas. I don't think I wanna go to the Bahamas. It seems like you have to have a boat to get anywhere you go, but I love watching people buy houses there. Uh, Castle Hunters. There's actually a show called Castle Hunters. Many of you have worked from home a lot the last couple of years. How much better would your home be if it were a castle, right? Now you can start your research into what the castle real estate market looks like, just in case you win the lottery. Um, there's a show on container homes, containers made into dwellings. Um, farmhouse Fixer, which is a little bit too close to those of us here who, who work in offices and old houses on this old dairy farm or live in some of these. There is Tiny House Hunters, Tiny house builders, tiny house big living, tiny house jamboree, tiny house luxury, oh, and tiny paradise, and tiny house arrest. I'm not sure what that one is, but my favorite of all of these shows on this network is a show I'm pretty sure they don't make anymore, but I catch it in reruns from time to time. It is a show called Buying the Bayou. And it's a show about people who are specifically looking for homes or trailers or like old barges or tree houses, I don't know, any and all of those, some kind of dwelling in Louisiana swamps with alligators and snakes and things that you would never want to live with. Uh, I would imagine most of us, if we lived in a Louisiana swamp, would be interested in a show called Escaping the Bayou. Uh, but guys, like these three guys right here from season one with their red solo cups, they're trying to buy their way into the bayou. And uh, I just think it goes to show there are all types of people who are interested in all types of dwellings. And it shows that when we think of dwellings, we think of some kind of place that your body goes to live. Your, your dwelling is where you sleep at night. And your dwelling is where you cook. And your dwelling is where you keep your things. And your dwelling is where you put up your Christmas tree. You have a body, and it's very likely that the place that you woke up this morning and took a shower, got dressed, made coffee, not necessarily in that order, the place that your body came from to here very likely was your dwelling. Uh, or if you're watching online right now, there's a good chance you're sitting in your dwelling, watching on TV or a computer, your body is in your dwelling, even as we talk about it. Well, as we start this series this morning, I wanna tell you, your body is not the only thing in you that can dwell. 
Do you know that your thoughts can dwell somewhere too? In fact, your body can dwell one place while your thoughts can dwell another. Do, do you know who taught us that? Billy Joel, who was in a New York state of mind. <laughs> the incredible thing about being human, and I don't know, maybe animals can do this too, you have the ability to daydream, and you have the ability to imagine, and to wonder, and, and to worry and obsess. And while you are sitting with us in church right now or, or watching online, while I would love to think that you are 100% focused on what we're gonna talk about today and every word we read from the Bible together, what I know is your body can be here, but your thoughts can be somewhere else. And that's okay, no shame in it. I expect that, I do it too. You can't control what your mind thinks about, where it goes. While it's okay for our mind to dwell someplace our body is not sometimes, where that gets problematic is when our mind dwells on things that mess with us. When our mind, when our thoughts dwell on things that tear us up inside. Our fears and our worries and our to-do list, our responsibilities, the load that is on us, our predictions about what we think might go wrong pretty soon. The downside of having thoughts that are not locked into what is happening with us right now in this present space we sit, the downside is that those thoughts can make us miserable. All right, have you ever been in a good mood until you think of something? Something that might go wrong, something that did go wrong in the past, you still have some heartburn about it, and all of a sudden, you think of it, you were in a great mood, but now you think of it, all you do is think of it, and you are frustrated and angry and moody. Yeah, that's because your thoughts can make you miserable. And here's the other downside of thoughts. Not only can they make you miserable, they can just make you. What you dwell on has a lot to do with what you become, who you become. What your thoughts turn to, what they potentially fixate on, they will affect you and the person that you currently are or someday are gonna be. Like, how you feel about you which is really your thoughts combined with your emotions, how you feel about you. Your thoughts about you will affect you. And your thoughts about other people, your thoughts about your in-laws will affect who you are as it relates to those in-laws, possibly all other people, right? Your thoughts about God will affect who you are with God, who you become with him. If we are real honest, we get into these patterns with our thoughts, what we dwell on. We get into cynical patterns and apathetic patterns, and we get into patterns of worry. We get into obsessive patterns. And if you and I don't shift what we dwell on, then it is very likely you and I will find ourselves someplace or some body that we don't want to be, which is why the Apostle Paul wrote the most amazing thing in Philippians 4 that we're gonna look at today and over the next three weeks. He gave us an entire passage about what you should choose to dwell on. And I believe there has never been a, a more timely moment than the one we live in to look at what Paul tells us we should be letting our thoughts dwell on that will change us for the better. Um, let me read it to you. In fact, why don't you read it with me? Let's, let's read this out loud together. We don't often do this. Philippians 4, 8. We're gonna just read this word for word together, all right? Finally, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
Well done. Paul says, your mind is going to dwell somewhere. These are the things it will serve you well to think about. Now, you might know that the average person has between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts per day. How many of you would say you tend toward the 12,000? How many of you think? You have thoughts about mistakes you've made, embarrassing things that you've said, regrets that you have. Paul, knowing that you and I cannot have absolute control over all of our thoughts, he gives us eight filters to help us shift our thoughts from some not so good categories to some much better ones. Eight tools or filters. Filters to run our thoughts through. So today, in the next three weeks, we're going to dive deeper into this passage and look at the things Paul lists that you can shift your mind to. And, and what I'm going to do with each one of these, I'm going to give you a question to ask yourself to be able to apply that filter to your thoughts. Um, the science of good thoughts is not really science, although there is science that supports the idea of thinking good thoughts. And, and, and by the way, this is not the power of positive thinking. The science of good thoughts is what you think you will become. So let me help you understand these filters and the questions that Paul presents in them, all right? Today we're gonna look at the first two, true and noble, and then in the coming weeks we're gonna hit the rest, all right? The first thing that Paul tells us to think about here to really filter our thoughts through is this idea of true. Would you say true with me? True, whatever is true. Now. Um, the academic in me wants to tell you that the Greek word for true here is alethis, and that it occurs 26 times in the New Testament. And the academic in me wants to tell you that when it does, it's translated to real or, or truthful or just simply the truth. And I want to remind you that Jesus said that he was the truth, and I want to suggest that what Paul says, think about whatever is true, he's talking about Jesus. But I'm not going to say all that, although I just did. I tricked you. Let's talk about you for a few minutes.
hope it's not, but someday you might be one of those people. But by the way, every pastor I know has a bunch of those people. John, my predecessor, would say he had a bunch of those people. But I have this weird thought when I enter a restaurant that I will get sat at a table and I will notice that I am in the midst of people who just hate my guts. And what it causes in me is this sense of dread. This lead up uh, to being seated is dread, dread, worry, dread. So that night, Andrea and I are on the state and we're in great moods and we walk into this restaurant and we start heading back toward the courtyard and this feeling increases that I'm talking about, and we sit down at our table, and I am tense, and I want her to order fast. Why is it taking so long for you to figure out what you want to eat? Can't you just decide what you want already so we can move this dinner along? And what was happening with my thoughts, they were affecting my feelings, and both of them started to determine who I became, at least in that moment. And our date was no longer a date. It was a, how much longer do we have to be here? Now. While those thoughts of mine, uh, they were not entirely unrealistic. What I mean by that is I have occasionally found myself in that exact situation where someone upset with me got sat at the table right next to me. And always I say hello and we make awkward small talk. But while those thoughts are not unrealistic, they are not real. They are not true. There was no one in that back patio courtyard that was upset with me right then other than my wife. And, and, and many of us, our tendency is to get scared or worried or anxious about things that are not gonna happen. They are realistic, but not real. In fact, can I tell you it was the opposite that night? Uh, when we walked in, there was somebody there from Crosswinds that I don't know, but I recognized, and they waved at me, and I waved back, and then later, as she and her party left, the person I presume was her husband yelled out, Chris, have a good sabbatical. Uh, the opposite happened that night in the courtyard. Uh, it was an encouraging moment, but many of us have this thing where our mind tells us, fear the worst case, fear the worst case, and those thoughts can mess with you. Those thoughts cause anxiety, and then that can snowball, and they just get more intense the more that you think about them. And, and, and maybe you are someone here this morning, or you're watching, that, that like me, you think that things are realistic, but you realize they are not real. They are not happening right now, and your worry, your worry causes you to feel as if they are happening right now. Yeah, there are reasons that any of us do this. Sometimes it's pain in the past. Sometimes it's, it's, it's trauma that causes you to think that something that happened bad before is gonna happen again, and, and your reaction to that which is true or real, it changes you in that moment. And it affects other people. Um, 18 years ago, I became a pastor in Las Vegas, and I remember um, I was leaving a church out east that was not so healthy to come to this church in Vegas, and I had seen some real... Uh, stuff go down at this other church. And, and when I got to Vegas that first year, it probably caused me to not be as collaborative as I needed to be. And in fact, I, I was suspicious of feedback and evaluation, and it's pretty defensive. And uh, one day, I was in the senior pastor's office, and we were, we were talking about something that he thought we should change in our worship services, which it was my job to lead those out. And whatever he said, I don't even remember where it was, I took it really personally. And I got very defensive, and I am sure that I accused him of some stupid things that he did not do. And I remember he looked at me, and he said, 
I am not so-and-so. My, my boss at the church I had come from, he named him. I am not this guy. Do not put your baggage from that guy on me. And it hit me. Oh, he's right. I am projecting on him something that I fear that he is that is not real. Okay, can I just say thank God for that church? I learned what healthy church really looks like. But our worry causes these thoughts. Now, can I show you something in verse six? Remember the passage that we're, we're diving into so far? We spent about 10 minutes on this one word, true, just that word alone. Remember this passage we read is verse eight, but can I show you what precedes verse eight earlier in verse six? Before Paul gives all these filters to run your thoughts through, he says this, do not be anxious about anything. Whoa, Paul brings up fear and worry, and anxiety, and worst case scenario thinking, right there in verse six, right before he says, do not let your thoughts dwell in that space, the worry space, instead think about these things. And the first one, think about what is true. Think about what is real. Now, how do we, how do we define true? This isn't a dictionary definition, but in light of what we're talking about here. True is what is actually happening in this moment right now as opposed to what I fear may come. True is what is real, not what is realistic. But God also tells us if we wanna know truth, we've got to know him. In Isaiah 45, God says, I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a, in a land of darkness. I've not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. God says, I'm not hiding from you. I'm not trying to keep secrets. I will give you the truth. I won't deceive you. And, and here, without me getting overly personal here, can I tell you, um, God gave me some truth with that restaurant dread that I was talking about a minute ago. When I applied this filter, you know, I went on a long bike ride the next day going, what is wrong with me? Why do I do this? God, where's this coming from? And as I was praying on this bike ride over that week, multiple bike rides, God impressed on me this verse, Psalm 23, 5, where David writes, God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Okay, just real quick, I don't think that I have enemies. I, I hate to think of anyone as an enemy. Don't think that I have a list of people at home. You're on my enemy list now. I'm keeping track. I don't have enemies in that sense. But, but the truth I heard from God was, Chris, even if someone in that restaurant hates your guts, I have prepared a table for you. I will be with you. You're meant to be here. And, and that is real. That is truth. Look, You've got lies coming at you from your own head. And, and, and sometimes we have them from out there too, right? Unreliable storytellers who capitalize on worrying us. Like, that's their job. Paul gives you the truth filter to help you become something better here because what you think is what you will become. And, and, and I know I can't just say today, think about whatever's true and, and, and like have it all sewn up. It's not that easy. But what I can give you is a question that will help you use this truth filter. Each of these eight, we're gonna have a question you can ask yourself in the moment that will help you turn your thoughts to something better. And here's this one, here's the truth question. Is this thing that I'm worried about true, real? Not is it realistic, but is it true right now? When you worry about the potential of people talking about you behind your back, is it true right now? When you worry about 
being sidelined at work as you get older, there's new young talent. Okay, is that true right now? When you worry about whether you'll make friends at school this fall, is it true right now? When you worry about whether your kids in their rebellion will reject you, could be very realistic, but is it real right in this moment? When Paul talks to us and tells us to think about whatever is true, he's saying, ask yourself, is this thought about this thing that's worrying you, is it just realistic or is it real? Okay, let's talk about the second filter on this list of eight. And this one will be shorter. I know we spent a lot of time on true. And, and we're gonna leave it at the second one and then next week we'll pick up three and four. Paul writes here to not only think about what is true, but to think about what is noble. Would you say that word with me? Noble, noble. I wanna put a Greek word up on the screen and I wanna ask you to say this Greek word with me too, okay? Semnos, semnos, you say it. Semnos. Semnos appears a few other places in the New Testament. I want to show you two of them very quickly. One is in Titus. Paul was writing to this guy Titus about all the churches in Crete. These churches were famous for their sin, for their corruption. And one of Titus's jobs uh, was to replace corrupt teachers with godly leaders. This was a problem that needed fixing. And so Paul writes in Titus 2.2, teach the older men to be temperate, and worthy of respect. And that phrase right there, worthy of respect, is actually semnos. Now, there's another time in 1 Timothy that he's writing. And Paul is writing to this guy, Timothy, that he's mentored, and he's sending him to Ephesus to, again, go confront some wayward leaders and, and to help the church get back to what it was supposed to be. And, and he writes, 1 Timothy 3.8, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect. And he goes into a much longer list of things, but it starts with this word, semnos, again. So most Bibles translate the second thing in our list as the word noble, what we talked about earlier, or the word honorable sometimes. But, but, when we see that same word, semnos, written by the same guy in other places, doesn't get translated noble. It gets translated worthy of respect or respectable. And there is a reason for that. Because in those other places, it's used to describe a person. That woman, that man is respectable. They're worthy of respect. But here in Philippians, in our list of things to think about, our filters, it's a word describing a type of thought you should have. And this gets messy. Because, here's a question for you. What does it mean for you to have a respectable thought? That feels complicated. I can't control my thoughts and whether they're worthy of respect. That's weird. So Bible translators just say noble, honorable, and they just kind of call it a day. Well, let's try to uncomplicate it a little bit. Um, have you ever been playing a game with a group of people or you're just hanging out with some friends and you know how every friend group has a line that you don't cross? And every group's line is a little bit different, but you're hanging out and you're having fun, and then somebody makes a joke or a comment that just goes a little too far, just a little bit over the line, and everyone is just cringing and mortified. In fact, you can probably point right now at the person you are friends with in the room that does this, right? Do not do that, but you could. Actually, actually, everyone does this. Every one of us does, and the reason this happens with everybody, every group I've ever been a part of, every person in my group, even pastors, you guys, uh, especially pastors, we are the best at putting our feet in our mouths. But the reason this happens is because we get comfortable and we all get relaxed and we get caught up in the fun of the conversation and with that, we sometimes get flippant and we get foolish 
and we think, mm, I don't need to filter anymore. I'm with my people, which is all well and good until you cross whatever line exists within that group of people where you thought there was no line. And then you realize, oh, whoops, that hurt somebody's feelings. That went too far. That was inappropriate. Oh my gosh, that came off wrong. And you say in your head, I wish I would have filtered. And I, I wonder if what Paul is saying here with the second thing is, people who follow Jesus, let me give you a filter. Is it worthy of respect? Ask this question. Is the situation I find myself in worthy of respect? Is it dignified? Is it honorable? If you become what you think and you wanna be a person who's worthy of respect or respectable, then the filter you run your thoughts through is, is this situation or uh, is this joke I'm about to tell or is this comment I'm about to make, is the situation I'm in, is the thing I'm about to say, is any of this respectable? Does it increase somebody's respect for me or will it decrease it? Now, I know that that question is a little bit funky or hard to remember, so let me give you another way you might prefer to ask this question. If I run for president someday, and I know all of you will, if I run for president someday and people dig up dirt on me, will this situation I'm in right now, will this thing I'm about to say right now, will this joke I'm about to make right now be considered honorable when the world finds out about it and it gets printed on the front page or, or, or not so much? Okay, let me pause there. I understand if you ask this question the wrong way, it could be paralyzing because because doesn't it seem that what's honorable or dignified or respectable is a little bit of a moving target? Um, in the 1890s, in the Victorian era, if a woman showed even a sliver of skin on her ankle, it was scandalous. Or let's talk more recent, let's talk Disneyland. It wasn't until 2019, three years ago, that Disneyland employees were allowed to have beards and tattoos. If I'm gonna worry about whether everything I say or do is respectable to everybody around me, good luck. All right, you don't have to do that. But you could use the filter, what will this thing do to me? Will it increase respect for me or will it decrease respect for me? Because remember, what you don't filter out of your thoughts, your words, your conversations, you become. What you don't filter out of your thoughts, you will become. One more real life example I think everybody can relate to. Have you ever heard a person make a racist joke or a homophobic joke or a sexist joke and then excuse themselves because they're not racist and they didn't mean it, it was just tongue in cheek. Everybody knows that I'm not sexist, that's why I can say that joke. When other people make that joke, they mean it. My joke is satire and commentary on their joke. All right, what that person is saying is, I kind of thought this was funny, but don't think that I'm dishonorable or I lack semnos because I said it. I don't actually believe what I just said. And I would ask, all right, even if that's true, how many times do you get to tell that joke or say that thing before you become the thing that you're tongue-in-cheek making fun of or at the very least, decrease your respectability to whoever's listening? As much as Paul says that you can do something about your fears and your worries and your struggles by thinking about what is real as opposed to just realistic, he also says you can do something about those negative thoughts by filtering what you engage in through the filter of is this worthy of respect? All right, the true question. Is this thing that I'm worried about true? 
Is it real? The noble question, is this situation I find myself in worthy of respect? Will it increase someone's respect for me or will it decrease it? Now's the time to take out your camera and, and take a picture of that. So you have those two questions with you. No one will shame you for holding up your cell phone right now. You cannot control your thoughts, but before you act on them, before you speak on them, before you let them mess up a date night with your wife, you can filter those thoughts into something better. And they will change you. They will change you. They'll change how you feel. They'll change how you treat other people. They will change who you become. All right, will you stand with me? Let's pray together. God, before I say anything else, let me just say right now, how incredible that when you created us, you gave us these very complicated minds that can think all sorts of wonderful, creative things, that can, that can dream up how to get to the moon, that can, that can come up with all sorts of culinary delights. God, you blow us away with the way you let our minds go. And then, God, our minds can do some pretty dark things that can make our lives miserable. We are so grateful that you do not leave us to ourselves and our minds, that you give us instruction. And here as we read in Philippians today, God, you give us eight filters. Would you help us be a people that apply these? God, would you do something in us as we focus on true? And God, would you change us as we focus on noble? And all God's people said, amen. Hey, I'll just remind you, we do pastor elder prayer after this service today. It's the first of the month. If you've got something you need prayer for, there'll be a few of us up front. We'll see you next week.